Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 512. That's a great binary number, 512. Anyway, for the 25th of September, 2016. This week, what happens if you turn on the computer and it won't boot? Now's a good time to prepare for that somewhat unlikely possibility. When you're using a computer that isn't yours, having a thumb drive with a bunch of portable apps can be helpful. Obtaining them is easy. In short circuits, some of the things that look like fraud might not be, but paying close attention to the details is really important. And now you can get free access to virtual private network technology when you use the Opera browser. In spare parts, only on the website, Steve Wozniak, one of Apple's co-founders, will be the keynote speaker at a conference in San Francisco next month. Self-employed professionals who need accounting software might want to look at an updated offering from a Canadian company. And Ashland College enrolls more than 1,000 inmates in a distance learning program. Keeping recovery media around for use when your Windows computer won't start is a good way to turn a disaster into an inconvenience. Recovery CDs and DVDs were popular for a while, but some computers, particularly notebook computers and tablets, no longer come with optical drives, so it's USB to the rescue. Around the end of August, I noticed that Woot was selling 16 gigabyte USB drives for $3, limit 5. Now, by today's standards, 16 gigabytes is small. You'll find them selling for 5 to $10. But it's just about right for a recovery drive. Windows needs around 8 gigabytes, and once you've created the recovery drive, you can copy other useful utilities to that USB device. Copy additional support files after you create the recovery drive, though, because any files on the drive will be erased by the recovery process. You'll find a bunch of screenshots on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You want to start with a USB drive that has no files you want to keep. There's no need to format the thumb drive first to remove any existing files. Windows will take care of that for you. Just insert the drive, open the Start menu, and type Recovery. Then select Create a Recovery Drive from the menu. You'll be asked if you want to back up system files to the recovery drive. Select this because you need the system files to use either Reset or Recover from the thumb drive. You'll generally be able to copy the system files, but not always. On one of my computers, I saw a message that said, we can't create the recovery drive. Well, that's a meaningless message. It's made even worse by Microsoft's total lack of clues about how a user might want to proceed. Well, my first thought was that the McAfee Total Protection System might be causing a conflict. I thought that even though it's installed on two computers for the process succeeded without problems. I turned it off, but once again I saw 
we can't create the recovery drive. Well, then I deselected the System Files option box and tried again. It worked. On systems with more than one USB drive, you'll see a list of devices you can use. Choose very carefully, because if you select a data drive, the data will be vaporized. I selected my thumb drive, and the process ran to a successful conclusion. If Windows has a serious problem, but it is still able to boot, you'll want to use the Reset or Recover from the Recovery Options menu. The USB drive is for use only when Windows will not start at all. That's a rare situation, admittedly, so you may never need the USB drive. It's good insurance, though, nonetheless. If you need to use it, you might need to change the computer's BIOS settings so the computer will boot from a USB device. Computer manufacturers have assigned different keystrokes to get to the BIOS menu. Some computers display information about what you need to press during startup, but others don't. Common choices are F2, F8, or just Enter. This is the kind of information that you really should gather before you need it. Otherwise, you might need to use another computer and visit the computer manufacturer's website to determine what those magic keys are. When you boot to the USB device, you'll see a menu with several options. One of them is Troubleshoot. That's the one you want. Generally, you'll want to select a Restore Point by using Advanced Options System Restore. This removes any recently installed applications or updates and drivers, but it won't touch any of your data files. If that doesn't work, and the USB drive doesn't have your system files, you'll want a professional to take a look at the computer. There are other options on the main menu. Using any of those without knowing exactly what you're doing can turn a problem into a disaster, so just stay out of that area. If you were able to place the system files on the USB drive, you still have two options, though. The first one you'll want to try would be Reset the PC. Select Advanced Options and Reset this PC. You'll be offered the option of keeping or removing your files. This option reinstalls Windows. Any of your apps, drivers, and settings will be removed. The second option would be Advanced Options and Recover. That reinstalls Windows from the computer's recovery partition. Now, it's important to note that if your computer originally came with Windows 8, it will once again be a Windows 8 computer following this operation, and you'll need to go through the upgrade process again. Recovery also removes your personal files, your apps, any drivers you downloaded, and your settings. In addition to being a system recovery device, the USB thumb drive I described can hold dozens, maybe even hundreds, of portable applications. These are useful when you're using somebody else's computer, when you want to help somebody else solve a problem with their computer, or when a problem crops up on your computer. Take a look at PortableApps.com. Download the free application then fill the application with any portable apps you'd like to have at all times. By the way, this is contributionware. If you find this useful, contribution is useful. 
The term portable app means that it runs entirely from the USB drive, does not have to be installed, and leaves no trace on the PC. For example, carrying around the portable version of Thunderbird would be helpful if you need to use a friend's computer to collect your email. And you don't want to leave your username or your password on that computer. After downloading the Portable Apps Installer, just run it and select New Install. Select either Portable or Custom for the location. Either will ask you to define a location. I had already created a directory called Utilities on my thumb drive. Select the location where you want Portable Apps to be installed. In my case, it was K backslash Utilities. And when the installation is complete, just run the application. Then select the applications you want to have installed on the thumb drive and click Next. You'll see a very long list of possible choices. Depending on how many apps you've selected, the process can take a long time. I selected 37. Installing them on the thumb drive took about half an hour. Some of the applications may display a message during the installation, so be sure to watch for those. When you run portable apps, it will appear in the notification area, also known as the tray. To run any of the apps, just select it from the menu. Simple. circuits, some of the ads we encounter in email and on the internet are clearly fraudulent. Some that might appear to be fraudulent actually aren't, but paying attention to the offer is still very important. For example, can you buy a Canon Rebel camera for $5.17? I frequently see ads such as the one shown on the TechBiter Worldwide website apparently promising a $400 KitchenAid mixer for about $2.00 a $500 Apple iPad for $12, a $400 Canon Rebel for $5, and a $200 ring for a buck. One of the worst offenders is called Deal Dash, and yet the company has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. How can this be? Well, first, Deal Dash seems to act quickly on customer complaints and generally seems to resolve them. So, in fact, it is not a fraudulent operation. The self-styled auction site offers products at absurdly low prices, but those prices don't reflect what you'll actually pay. They are starting points for an auction. And it's not a typical auction either. Participants have to purchase bids. Those are in addition to the final price of whatever is being auctioned. So the final price is the price of the item that you win, plus the cost of your bids. DealDash also offers a buy-it-now price, generally equivalent to eBay's. They are well above the initial bid, but possibly offering a discount from normal retail prices. Those who play the bidding game not only pay for their bids and then buy the product if they win, but they also need to spend a lot of additional time just keeping track of the bids. 
To me, that seems like a lot of extra work just to obtain what'll probably be a slightly discounted price that you might well be able to match on other websites or even with in-store prices. So it's not fraud if you clearly explain the rules, but it certainly has the appearance of a deceptive come-on. Oh, but here's a completely and clearly fraudulent offer. The email fraudsters just never give up. Now they're trying something new, though. This week I received a message that actually contained no text at all, just a giant image that looks like text. Why would the scammer do this? Mainly, it's an attempt to fool protective software that looks for large dollar amounts and marks them as spam. Well, an image doesn't reveal any of these telltale signs. And the fraudsters have now selected a country other than Nigeria. The one I received this week claimed to be from the Investment and Commerce Bank in Togo. Togo is a West African country, just like Nigeria. It is located between Ghana and Benin. The message itself is full of typographical and spelling errors, enough of those alone to tip off anybody who's paying even a bit of attention. This one was an inheritance scam. Without mentioning my name or the name of the supposed relative, I'm offered $15.5 million. But the from address is, well, there are several of them, actually. There's littlejoe underscore deal at Yahoo!, the reply to address is Robert underscore Benham at AOL, and the address presented later in the letter is Robert Benham at representative.com. Oh, representative.com. That seems to be a site that is reasonably well known for harboring scammers. The guy claims to be a banker at one point, a judge at another. He also claims not to be from Togo, but to be in Atlanta, and not just anywhere in Atlanta. The address he provides is 244 Washington Street. Well, I wondered where that is, and thinking you might wonder the same thing, I included a map. You'll find it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. 244 Washington Street is a building in the center of Atlanta, adjacent to City Hall and the Georgia Capitol. So if you're going to claim an address, well, it's probably good to claim one that's in a good neighborhood. And the scammer even has, thanks to the miracle of voice over IP, an Atlanta phone number. Oddly enough, his fax number is from Massachusetts. So what we have here is a laughable example of a poorly executed fraud. But you know, and so do I, somebody will believe it. If you use your computer only from home, a virtual private network, or VPN, is a good thing to have because it provides secure connections to keep your private information private. Free VPNs are generally slow. Some of them even log your usage. There are paid options, but if you need a VPN and you want it to be free and easy to use, there's Opera. A VPN client is available directly in the Opera desktop browser, which makes the Norwegian browser the first major browser to include a built-in VPN service. The secure proxy is provided by SurfEasy. That's an Opera company based in Canada. Opera's agreement notes in its terms of service that the VPN connects to websites via various servers around the world. 
so your connection speed may be affected. When turned on, Opera's VPN creates a secure connection to one of Opera's five server locations. Users can choose where to appear on the Internet. In addition to providing privacy and security, the fact that the VPN can make it possible for you to appear to be in another country can make content that is restricted to a given country or region easier to access. But if the location doesn't matter to you, just let the Opera browser select the optimal server location based on network speed, latency, location, and server capacity. When in automatic location mode, browsing through the VPN will be at maximum available speed. But in most cases, though, the speed will be slower than if you connected directly. The browser's VPN feature uses a 256-bit AES encrypted connection to the VPN virtual locations, and Opera Vice President Christian Colandra says that it's a no-log service, meaning that neither Opera nor SurfEasy stores any information about a user's browsing history. Calandra says that people are concerned about their privacy online and that the interest in VPN is increasing. There are two major obstacles, he says. VPNs are too complicated to use and they require a monthly subscription. Opera, he says, resolves both issues by introducing its free and easy-to-use service right in the browser. It's easy to enable. After downloading Opera for computers or updating to the most recent version, just go to Settings, if you're on a Mac, that's Preferences, and choose Privacy and Security. Toggle the VPN service on, and an icon labeled VPN will appear in the browser to the left of the address field. Clicking the icon allows users to activate the VPN and choose a preferred location. Oh, by the way, your preferred location for spare parts would be only on the website. This week, Steve Wozniak, one of Apple's co-founders, will be the keynote speaker at a conference in San Francisco next month. Self-employed professionals who need accounting software might want to take a look at an updated offering from a Canadian company. And Ashland College enrolls more than 1,000 inmates in a distance learning program. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.